Uh, joining us now, uh, this is great. We have Danielle Smith, the new Premier of Alberta, joining us. Premier Smith, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Well, hello, Shay Gannon. Pleasure to be here. Um, let's just start a couple. Of, I just want to try and get some clarity around a couple of things that I've wanted to ask you since well last week. First of all, Sovereignty Act seems to me it's changed a little bit. Set me straight if I've got this wrong, because when everybody got upset when it started, basically what I understood was, hey, if the courts rule that you know either the federal government has done something untoward to Alberta or Alberta has brought in a policy that the courts say, you know, that's not constitutional, that's not legal, Alberta may decide, you know what, we're just going to ignore the courts. However, last week. It sounds like you said, we'll take it right up to the Supreme Court. And once they rule, that's the end of the story. It's over and done. That's the law of the land. So, so where is, where is the truth? Like, what, what, what is the Sovereignty Act? What does it say about that? Well, I, I know that uh, very few media actually came to any of my speeches, but I can tell you what I said in hundreds of speeches across the province. What I said was that what we have right now is a situation where the federal government passes unconstitutional laws all the time, invading our areas of jurisdiction. Then they make us go to the courts to fight it out. What the Sovereignty Act would do is it would set up a shield. It would say, do not legislate in our areas of jurisdiction. And it would say, we will not enforce any federal laws that do. And then they can take us to court and they can be the ones who fight it out. But ultimately, you see what I mean? Like the courts, I have always respected as an area of, of, of adjudicating these issues. I've even been asked about the carbon tax and I've said, well, you know, that's Supreme yeah. Court has ruled on that, and so as a result, we'd have to find a, a way to either relitigate it or find some other way to compensate. So I think it's been just a media misunderstanding, and I don't think that the media has done a particularly good job of explaining what I have repeated over and over and over again. So I'm glad you gave me this opportunity what? to clarify, Shay. Nothing's changed. Okay, one more question, because you put on a statement September 6th, and I'll just read from it. It says, if a court stays or ultimately deems that the actions undertaken by the province under a specific Alberta Sovereignty Act special motion is unconstitutional, then the government and the legislature will review the special motion actions in question and will make a decision as to whether or not to amend, end, or continue with them, understanding the legal implications. Let me give you an example. I know that the National Citizens Coalition for years was getting court victories on issues of free speech about restrictions on political advertising. And so part of what happened is the government kept on trying to find ways that they could bring in restrictions around political advertising that were compliant with what the uh, Constitution said. And ultimately, they came up with a version that the court was able to approve. It's why we have uh, political action committees um, and third-party advertisers that now are, are subject to spending limits. So the conversation that courts have with juristic, with legislatures is an ongoing one. And it's up to the legislatures to take what the courts say and see if there is a way to revise the mm -hmm. legislation, relitigate if there's new information, or find some other way of achieving the policy goal in a different way. It's, it's the way our country has always worked. Um, but the, the issue that I have is that the federal government is passing unconstitutional rules, and we need to tell them, stop doing this. Our jurisdiction is our jurisdiction. They have no more right to legislate in our jurisdiction than we do in their area of jurisdiction. So this is going to be turning the tables on them. Um, is it still Bill 1? Is it still Job 1? That was, uh, or are we now moving on to, help? where does it fit in terms of the first act, uh, you know, once you're elected or, or whatever? Is it still Job 1 for you? It'll still be Bill 1, because remember, now that I'm seeking a by-election in uh, Brooks Medicine Hat, that by-election will be uh, called on November the 8th. If I'm successful, there's a period of time that we have to wait to make sure the results are validated. So the earliest I can be in the legislature is November 29th, and that is just too long to wait for us to move on getting some of the, the changes that we need in Alberta health care. I've talked to our health minister, Jason Copping, and he's, um, he's very eager with me. He's gone across the province over the last several months with 
several members of the, of the team and heard directly from people in multiple communities about the problems in the EMS that we need to fix, about the problems that we need to fix in the structure of Alberta Health Services. And so we're, we'll be moving on that very quickly. Okay, gotcha. Um, I've heard a lot of people asking about this. Dr. Dina Hinshaw, does she still work? For as she's still our chief medical officer of health, I know that the conversation was had last week from the podium. Has she been fired, or is she still on her job? I've, t- I've talked to Minister Copping about that. I've, I've told him that I'm, I, won't, I won't be doing joint press conferences with Dr. Dina Hinshaw. I have a, a team of advisors that I am uh, assembling among doctors, medical staff across the province, who I'll be, um, I'll be announcing in, in pretty short order. They will be advising me through the fall respiratory virus season. And um, um, at, at this precise moment, Dr. Dina Hinshaw is still the chief medical officer. Gotcha. Okay, fair enough. Uh, this thing that blew up over the weekend, the Ukraine situation, and I, I think yeah, you put out a statement clarifying it yesterday with a full throated support of Ukraine. Um, several examples, as you know, within the last few months where things were a little bit different. Uh, you talked about Ukraine needing to be neutral. The question I'm working towards, you know, you, you attack Rachel Notley for politicizing this. I'm just wondering, you know, as we're going through this campaign, how does she get the blame for politicizing your comments about Russia and Ukraine? Well, I think you have to remember, I mean, I've been in public life for 27 years. I've had a number of different jobs, a number of different roles, and um, I'm, the role I'm in right now is, is premier. I suppose we could kind of relitigate every statement that I have made in the past in a, with the different hats that I've worn, but I, I do find when I talk to the public, what they're interested in knowing is what I'm going to do going forward, and what I'm going to do going forward, because my, my great-grandfather, Philippus Kolodnik, he came over after World War One, so he clearly was fleeing the, the communism in in, uh, in Eastern Europe at the time, and I, I feel very strongly that we've got to support our Ukrainian community. And the best way as a province that we can support, remember, I respect federal jurisdiction. It's up to them to weigh in on international relations and negotiations. It's our job as a province to lend out a hand and a heart of help so that we can repatriate anyone who wants to come here and help them find work, help them find a community that will accept them, also uh, deliver humanitarian aid. I know that Ed Stelmack and Thomas Lukasik have been doing tremendous work in this regard. And that, to me, is us staying in our lane and being properly supportive at a time of uh, incredible global crisis. I think uh, we have a very large expatriate Ukrainian community who've got lots of friends and family that they want us to help, and I'm prepared to step up and do that. Um, I think you make a good point that, you know, you've been in public life for a long time, and and the things that you've said are are on the record. There's no question about it. And I think you make uh, a point here. Uh, which, Which word... Which statement is the one that counts? Because you've changed on Russia, Ukraine. Uh, you've changed on Sovereignty Act. You had to clarify your comments on the most discriminated group in history. Um, there's been three clarifications in your first six days in office. So uh, who, which statements are Albertans to take as being the ones that count and which ones might change down the road? I mean, you did say these things. Do you, do you stand by any of them? thing is, I notice there's a big difference in how the media does uh, interviews me versus what the public wants to hear. And I'm, I'm noticing that the media loves to be able to try to find something that will get them maximum number of clips and, and clicks and maximum amount of outrage so they can do follow-up stories. By playing your own words? People are. I'm just letting you know, when I talk to the members of the public and I say, okay, well, you know, I may have been able to word this a little bit better um, but, or maybe I, I should have said it a different way, they, they accept that and move on. And so I'm really interested 
interested in, in making sure that Albertans have an opportunity to ask me what I want to do as Premier, as uh, opposed to, I, th- I think uh, what, I'm, what I see in the media is that there, uh, you know, I gave an hour-long press conference and sort of one sentence is the only thing that gets reported on it. So I put, the, put it back on you guys that I would just prefer that we talk about real and substantive issues that matter to Albertans. That's what I'm going to keep doing. Well, I think those are substantive issues. I think if you're running to be Premier of the province in a by-election in Brooks Medicine Hat, we have to know that what you say today isn't going to be different tomorrow, a week from now, or a month from now. We need to know where the leader of the province stands on these major issues. Well, let me tell you where I stand. I ran on three major issues. Sovereignty Act so we can push back against Ottawa. I'm going to do that. Ran on changing the Alberta Human Rights Code so that we do not discriminate against people on the basis of their COVID vaccine status. I'm going to do that. And we're also going to restructure Alberta health care so it starts working for people and patients and the front line rather than the administrators. Those are the three things that I ran on. Those are the three things I'm going to do. Um, have you been to Brooks Medicine Hat yet? Is that the plan? When do you plan to get out there and do some campaigning in the riding? I was there on uh, when I when I went down to just seek permission from the local board to accept me as their candidate. Mm-hmm. It's been pretty busy the first week. I've spent the first week meeting with all 60 of our MLAs. I've got a few more meetings that I have to do today, plus getting briefings from the deputy ministers. We've got a caucus retreat happening over the next few days, announcing cabinet on uh, on on Friday, having an AGM on the weekend, cabinet sworn in on on Monday, and then I will be spending an awful lot of time in Brooks Medicine Hat. Uh, last one, and then I'll let you go. Calgary Elbow. A lot of people on the text line right now in Calgary text me. What about Calgary Elbow? What about Calgary Elbow? Are you going to run? Are you going to run somebody in Calgary Elbow? Why? Why does that um, writing not need representation for the next six, seven months? But Brooks, you got to jump in right away. Well, I think people expect that when a person becomes premier and doesn't have a seat, there is a convention and an expectation that they are going to seek a seat at the earliest opportunity. We also have a convention that when we're a year out from a, an, a general election campaign, you can keep a seat vacant. And so I don't want to have a, a unnecessary by-elections. There may be other seats that also come open. And so I want to make sure that I'm there so that I can give the representation needed and have the mandate as uh, as premier by, by getting that local mandate. And so you'll, you'll see um, in the next coming days why it is that uh, elbow is a little bit more complicated. I have two sitting uh, MLAs that I knew were interested in potentially moving over to represent that riding, and one of them may. And so that would have then created another vacancy. And so I think you'll have to, to you'll, you'll be able to see in the, in the coming days as those nominations begin. I believe in open, fair uh, nomination process. I was uh, consulted with the board. They wanted to have an open, fair nomination process to choose the right candidate for that area. And uh, that's what I'm going to do. If you don't want an unnecessary buy election why have one have a MLA step down in Brooks Medicine Hat when you have a vacancy in Calgary Elbow you literally created an unnecessary by-election well, as you know, um, I've, I've moved into rural Alberta because I love rural Alberta. Michaela Glasgow had already announced that she was uh, going to be stepping aside because she said, as, as she puts it so eloquently, the, the title she wants to wear most is mom. And so she just accelerated that because she, um, she wants to be able to, to, to focus on family. And so I was delighted that she um, offered up her seat, and that's the reason that I'm running there. I'm a, I believe that rural Alberta has felt ignored over the last number of years. And by running in a rural riding, um, I'm, I'm hoping to, to demonstrate that the rural voice is at the table. When I'm a Calgary girl, grew up, born and raised, I was on radio in a Calgary for six years. But I, when I ran in office the first time, I made a conscious decision to represent a rural riding for a lot of reasons. I think the diversity of it, being able to be in touch with the heavy industry, agri-food, oil and gas development, we've got a military base down there. All of those issues and the complexity of that riding, I think, is important for me to understand because it's a bit of a microcosm mm-hmm. of the province. That's the reason why I wanted to represent that riding. Premier Smith, I appreciate your time. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I hope we can do this again, but thanks so much for joining us. 
You bet. My pleasure. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.